0: There's a lot of excitement for the potential of biofuels, but there's also a challenge ahead. It's a kind of a good news, bad news kind of challenge. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vocher host and editorial director for Farm Progress. For years, the idea of renewable energy from crops did not catch fire. There were detractors that badmouthed the fuel. There were barriers put in the way of expanding their use. But that's changing, and a new report from CoBank digs into the issue of renewable fuels, including the hottest area, renewable diesel. The report is titled, Renewable Diesel Projected to Turbocharged Biofuel Growth. We caught up with Ken Zuckerberg, lead economist for CoBank, who authored the report to get a better perspective about what he found. While there's a lot of focus on renewable diesel, the report offers a wide-ranging look at what's changing for the entire renewable fuels market. Ken Zuckerberg, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thank you. Thanks for having me in today. I have you in today and on because... uh, you have pulled together information i think that's kind of been floating about in the ether a bit a bit about the rising demand for renewable fuels and what i would say farm-based renewable fuels and how that picture might be changing you pointed out something interesting and i want to get to that in a minute but um, this report that's put out by CoBank is fascinating and it kind of looks at the whole picture so before we move on to the excitement of renewable diesel can we talk about ethanol a little bit Certainly, by all means. And what we uh, tried to do in this
1: piece was provide an outlook, Willie, for the biofuel space in general, uh, touching a little bit upon ethanol and then focused on renewable diesel, as you mentioned. So, yeah, fire away. Happy to talk.
0: So one of the things that everybody talks about is uh, ethanol and the electric car and what the electric car might mean, the EV, whatever, might mean to the demand for ethanol. Uh, You kind of touch on that, but there's some other mitigating factors here. I guess I I feel like the reports of the death of ethanol might be greatly exaggerated, at least for the near term. Is that true? So I I would agree. And I think uh, a little context here, Willie, is important. So,
1: certainly, ethanol has been around for many, many years and actually uh, a very productive and helpful fuel for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Electric vehicles, on the flip side, are uh, a newer technology, which by definition don't use, at least pure electric vehicles, don't use uh, uh, any type of uh, liquid fuel. Rather, they use electricity. So we have a uh, confluence of factors here, both positive and negative for both electric vehicles and um, ethanol. Let me explain. Uh, Adoption of electric vehicles is set to increase over the next 10 or 15 years. Clearly, you've seen and others have seen many announcements by traditional uh, uh, car makers talking about by 20. thirty five there will be uh, very limited and in some cases zero production of uh, vehicles that use internal combustion engines so that's scary for the ethanol industry on the surface, uh, and that 's because obviously the need for fuel uh, and blended fuel will uh, rapidly diminish. That being said, there's several mitigating factors first um, the growth in the electric vehicle market uh, and the long-term adoption trends are very dependent on lithium battery uh, availability, uh, price affordability for that, and of course then infrastructure charging stations. So we have a lot of momentum, but lithium battery prices are very, very expensive and the infrastructure is not built out completely yet. So as we look at this, we think it'll probably be a longer transition than most people think, i.e. towards you know uh, uh, electric vehicles uh, uh, fully displacing ethanol. Another mitigating factor is the following. Russia, Ukraine, there are many distressing um, variables and, and uh, humanitarian issues related to that conflict. But there's something else that I think is fascinating. To the extent that Europe or the United States ever thought that energy independence would ultimately be dependent on one fuel source, I think that myth, that calculus is out the window. So as I think about electric vehicles and the ethanol question, I start thinking that any secure energy security in any country. Probably should have a diversified pool of energy sources, and the interesting thing about uh, hybrid vehicles that use both traditional fuel, including uh, ethanol, and uh, uh, electric charging, that actually may be uh, more popular in the coming years than we might have thought. So I think while U.S. ethanol needs to be very very aware of um, uh, you know changes in demand because of uh, Greater electric vehicle uh, adoption. I think there are some mitigating factors. Willie, you didn't ask me, but there's another part of the story that I want to make mention. Yeah. So to the to the extent that U.S. corn will see a uh, uh, a decrease in demand, and as folks on the call know, uh, ethanol is in the U.S. is produced using corn as a feedstock. There's a sort of an interesting, elegant offset in the future. And that's something called sustainable aviation fuel. Now, -hmm. while that market is still in its infancy, it uses corn as a feedstock to produce the fuel. So while I think there will undoubtedly be less demand over the next 10 or 15 years for corn for use in ethanol, there's an interesting story coming about with uh, sustainable aviation fuel and corn as a feedstock. I like to think about nature will find a way. And and um, uh, I think the decline in one uh, fuel will uh, may, may be fully offset by uh, uh, or largely offset by the demand in another fuel. Just wanted to make folks aware of that.
0: Right. And we have talked about sustainable aviation fuel on this podcast because that is a, a very hot topic. And uh, the company, the startup Jivo broke ground on their new facility in South Dakota a couple of weeks ago. So there's already interest in that technology. Um, I uh, have friends in the aviation business. So we are actually grouped in our company with Aviation Week, and we talk about the potential for SAF. For the future and it's the it gets to the question i'm going to ask you next though and that's the same question we're (laughs) facing in renewable diesel is that you 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 know saf has got a big demand but renewable diesel may have a growing demand as you pointed out and we have a problem we have a chicken and egg problem don't we we
1: we certainly do uh on a side note willie you'll have to keep in touch with me on the saf because getting good insight and good information requires expertise that I don't have yet. So uh, let's make sure we uh, pen that a note for ourselves On the renewable diesel, excellent, wonderful, thank you. On the renewable diesel side, this is um, ironic in some ways, but in other ways it's not. Let me explain. So we have the uh, fossil fuel industry, the oil majors and other folks connected to petroleum that for many many years de facto did their best to block ethanol right let's just call it what it is Mm -hmm. Um, these same companies which are many of which are owned by public shareholders that care about sustainability and their focus on helping reduce uh, 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 carbon emissions to help uh, uh, reduce or retract climate change these Entities, these people, these investors have put a lot of pressure onto uh, that oil complex to sort of uh, change. So, the energy industry is, along with agriculture, fully behind this idea of using soybean and other oil seeds to produce renewable diesel. Renewable diesel uh, has an uh, interesting dynamic versus traditional biodiesel. Uh, it's easier. For engines, it's a, a considered a drop-in fuel that doesn't require so much blending. So the positives of this story are strong. The irony um, that I alluded to a moment ago is that a lot of the money and the projects and the investment thesis were uh, 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 displayed up front, and and uh, capital has uh, flown into the sector, but we have a little problem. We have a deficit of soybeans to uh meet all this expected capacity the report goes into detail and i'm happy to unpack any specific issues you have
0: yeah there are a couple of specific issues and that one is that uh based on the projections for renewable diesel and we we should obviously remember to clarify that biodiesel is different it must be blended with traditional petroleum-based diesel to use it it's still been a good fuel for uh uh, alternative choices, but renewable diesel is kind of taken over, isn't it? Before we get into the supply part. Yeah, that's correct. I, I guess I want to use the
1: term um, not taken over yet, but okay. the forward growth in capacity will ultimately take over uh, uh, biodiesel. So, said differently, um, I look at renewable diesel as a cousin of biodiesel, and um, they have formulated through technological processes, an ability for that fuel to just go right into car engines and, um, uh, you know, with less uh, friction, less blending, et cetera. So I think the core thing to note is that last year we had about a little less than a billion of renewable diesel capacity. Mm -hmm. That capacity is set to grow to six and a half billion gallons by 2030, And where we come to with the uh, soybean shortage, if you will, is that, you know, six and a half billion minus the give or take one billion is about a 5.5 billion um, net new capacity of renewable diesel. And when we use the conversion ratios, how many soybean bushels will it take to produce that 5.5 billion net change? That's when we get to 3.4 billion more soybeans. That's a gigantic Gigantic number, Willie. You might ask me how big is that number in <laughs> relative terms, right? Let, Again, how big let's is that get... number
0: in relative terms? <laughs> Thank you're you right, for asking, me, Willie.
1: It's gigantic, and and you know, uh, I'll I'll talk about this in a minute. I don't want right. to go uh, out on my soapbox, but you know, very smart people have been talking about this for you know the past year and a half. I wrote the report because I didn't feel like uh, the marketplace fully appreciated it. Let's let's. Think for a minute. 3.4 billion equates to, you know, 3.4 billion more soybeans is about 75 to 80% of the current crop. And remember, we need this amount more. So in the report, we did a hypothetical theoretical exercise that said, well, what if we just stopped exporting soybeans? Let's be clear. I don't expect that to happen. But let's just, let's just say we did that. Would we fill the deficit or would there still be a deficit? Believe it or not, there would still be a deficit and that deficit would also be huge, about 927 million soybeans. So we have a situation here that needs to be resolved. We have a lot of demand and there's not enough soybeans in America or on earth at this moment for dedication to US renewable diesel to uh, sort of fill the gap. So we
0: need to become real creative here. Well, and your report's interesting because you, we keep the beans, we don't export them. We still need nearly a billion more beans, 927 million bushels. Right, correct. But that's about, based on you know average yields, that's about 17 to 18 million more acres of soybeans. If, if we were to commit even just to the nearly a billion more, just pick that number and forget the export number. Um, exactly. Where, where would Go ahead. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And let me also just reiterate, Willie, that,
1: uh, you know, uh, uh, CoBank finances soybean and grain exports. We have a lot of friends at the United yes. Soybean uh, Export Council and others. So uh, I want to be very, very clear that we don't expect You know, shutting down soybean exports to be within the math. But what's interesting, as I and as we are talking Mm -hmm. about, is just if you think about if we had to, if market forces did that, there would still be a gigantic gap. I also want to back up and just uh, uh, do something else and translate just how big this deficit is at the moment. Mm -hmm. If we just said that we would take corn acres and shift all of the needed corn acres into beans based on current yield levels, that would be also beyond comprehension. We're talking about 65 or 66 million corn acres when annually the U.S. farmer puts down roughly, what, 90 million and change. Now, if ethanol was wiped out because electric vehicles uh, uh, were completely uh, in circulation tomorrow, then this would be an elegant solution to one problem to fix another, but as we talked about at the outset of the uh, the call, uh, we think the adoption and just the practical reality of EV adoption will take a bit longer, so the industry
0: here has a few things to figure out vis-a-vis the soybean deficit. So I've got a couple areas that that came up to mind as I read your report. And you, you kind of touch on one. And we could see the rise of a new infrastructure for recapturing either beef tallow or, re, uh, or uh, capturing beef tallow or recapturing like restaurant oils, things like that, to reclaim them into renewable diesel. I know that's possible, although it's much more intense to go to a million different restaurants and pick up the fry grease. Okay, so that's a different infrastructure. Right. But the other question I had for you was, what about corn oil? So,
1: wonderful question, Willie. Uh, we, we studied this, and the reality is that the oil content from corn is very, very low. Okay. So, unfortunately, based on the way corn is made today, produced today, um, it's not – Uh, a terribly productive oil seed. That being said, again, nature will find its way. I'm going to use that term that a friend of mine, Sterling Liddell uh, taught me many, many years ago. Um, There are some other crops here that are oil intensive, one of which is canola. Another one is sunflower oil, sunflower seed creating the oil. I have even heard that hemp, is very oily, and that should there be an ability to increase production on any or all of those three uh, products, then that is another, um, you know, dynamic which could, if you will, provide, you know, feed the machine, provide the feedstock for renewable diesel production. And not for nothing, we also have the ability to import um, some of these alternatives oil seeds um, to crush in the u.s or import uh, the oil itself as a feedstock i think as a final note there is something even more fascinating here what about increasing soybean yields right (laughs) corn uh, per acre gives you what uh, current technology is somewhere on average 170 to 180 depending on the year Uh, bushels per acre, whereas soybeans are somewhere in the 50 to 52. Now, being an analyst and always wondering how did we get here, um, it seems that a lot of the uh, farm input companies globally and those based here in the United States have spent a lot of money and effort and time um, improving uh, corn genetics over soybeans. I think that's a fantastic opportunity. I think if I were um, younger um, with a free spirit, I might want to join an ag tech startup to help uh, <laughs> develop such yeah. genetics to increase the soy yield. That seems like an obvious, interesting area. We're going to do more work on all uh, four or five of these uh, additional alternatives, Willie, that uh, you know we mentioned in this report. Our purpose here was to uh, lay out the framework, um, what we're thinking, and over time, um, I expect one at a time. We'll look at tallow. We'll look at the alternative crops, and we'll look at uh,
0: the possibility of greater soybean genetic uptake. And there are other things too, and I bring up one because Chevron and Bunge are involved, and that's uh, covercress, which is uh, another oil seed that grows like a cover crop between corn and soybeans in the winter so there may be other things out there but they may be aiming for the saf market too so it's difficult to pin down where all these startups are headed when you start talking about different cropping approaches and uh, it would that, be nice if hemp true. could make money <laughs> so, <laughs> so
1: exactly in 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 that fashion and really to the point about you know cover crests and uh, you know bungee. So uh, I spent a, the first couple decades of my career in the professional investment management and research business. And one of the you know, lessons you learn is that you need to always pay attention to what the smart money is doing. Mm-hmm. They could be wrong. They're not always right, but you need to pay attention. I think you raise an excellent point here. One must pay significant attention to some of these tertiary factors that are uh, around this market. Um, so,
0: appreciate you mentioning that, and I fully agree. Well, So, it's interesting, too, and I think maybe the the take-home point from all this is that the de- demand drives commodity prices. And the report you've laid out here paints a pretty nice picture for a nice floor of demand for soybeans and potentially corn for continued demand for corn for ethanol for at least a near term. Um, it's It's actually pretty good news for the farmer looking at this report.
1: Your interpretation is correct. I think that um, there is a uh, sort of a, a, a decade or two of ag here that has a lot more positive dynamics than perhaps uh, uh, people have you know, considered before. So the U.S. farmer, he and she have an opportunity here to um, pivot, to adjust, to uh, uh, you know, produce uh, more efficiently and to, if they're willing to change their crop mix, uh, you know, form the efficient frontier, right? I always think about if you have lemons, you make lemonade. Right. If there is excessive soybean demand and the financial attributes and profitability attributes are attractive, then why wouldn't you Uh, commit to this marketplace. So I think we have uh, uh, a transition here that's interesting. Um, There are probably some other intended consequences that we need to study and explore and talk about in the future, one of which is if the U.S. crop shifts away from corn into soybeans, which we think it will, there will be tremendous implications for fertilizer. Um, As you know, corn is a user of nitrogen fertilizer, while soybeans are not. So again, these are some of the additional
0: factors that make this topic rich for additional research and discussion going forward. I think that's the favorite phrase of an economist. This is rich for additional research. Isn't that how that works? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I promise
1: to not say on the one hand and on the other hand, I tried to be yeah, very clear about that. I appreciate that that uh, didn't
0: happen. I do yeah. appreciate that, Ken, a great deal. Well, it's been great I, talking I, to you today about this report. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to make sure we take home from this? No, I think uh, we've
1: covered a lot. Um, you know, there was a few additional factors that, uh, uh, you know, your audience should think about. Uh, I would recommend first study the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Uh, The name of that act should have really been the Biofuels uh, uh, Supercharge Act because there uh, are a lot for biofuels and a lot for renewable energy. Uh, Second, I would pay attention to global markets because even before this uh, uh, report was out, we had a a tightening in worldwide veg oil markets, which only got tighter because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So I would say, you know, in closing, uh, lots to read. Please read the report. It's free and it's available on cobank.com, selecting knowledge exchange and then looking at the grain uh, and farm supply sector. Uh, Willie, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, hope to visit with you again soon.
0: Sounds good, Ken, and I appreciate your time. And for the listeners of the podcast, I've, got, I've looked at the report. It's, it's easily digestible. It reads like a nice PowerPoint presentation with great graphs to make sense of everything. And it's quite illuminating. And Ken, I appreciate your hard work on that. And thanks to Cobank for putting it together.
1: Our pleasure, Willie.
0: Talk about your classic chicken and egg problem. Ramping up demand for renewable diesel will mean a need for more soybeans a lot more soybeans. Great news for the demand picture, but a challenge given that we have a finite number of acres to farm. Thanks to Ken Zuckerberg with Cobank for his insightful comments and for the in-depth report. And I did mention it's easier to read than you might think. So visit Cobank.com to download that report. There's some fascinating information in there, and it offers farmers better perspective about the opportunity ahead. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress and you'll hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Business Summit, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.